Today's reading is 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might fall on his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was revealed, he did not reveal in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing our study of Strangers Like Me, and I hope by now you've realized that I've completely ripped that off from the movie Tarzan that came out in the mid-90s. And I have to put my old man hat on for a second. All these Disney movies that come out today, like Moana and Frozen, they aren't anywhere close to the soundtracks that I grew up with of Lion King and Aladdin and Tarzan. They are just way better. So I apologize to those of you in the room that like the more modern Disney films. But my generation had the best music, right? Okay? I think everybody's generation says that. So... Peter is continuing his message this morning. Remember, these are exiles, Christians that are living in a place that is not their own. And yet Peter is telling them, while you are in this location, you have a responsibility to conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of Jesus Christ. Honor him in the way that you live your life. And there are all sorts of different relationships that Peter is going to talk to us about, about how we are to respond And today that relationship is between master and servant. And so on the very front end, we have to understand Peter's context. Many times when we read this passage, our mind immediately goes to modern day slavery. The African slave trade that we know was a horrible thing. And any pastors and theologians that tried to justify it or say that it was okay were flat out wrong. But in Peter's context, that is not the type of slavery we are talking about. And so many times when we get to difficult passages in the Bible, one like today, sometimes they can invoke an emotional response in us. And we tend to dismiss what the text is saying because in our minds, we have some preconceived notion of what we think the author is talking about. But I want to tell you that the type of master-servant relationship that Peter is talking about is vastly different than what you and I think of. For instance, slaves in this day and age could be married. They could own land. They could be doctors and teachers. They were not slaves for life. It was not race-based slavery as you and I often think of. There was no bankruptcy in Peter's day. And so many people went in to bondage, to slavery, to pay off their debts over a period of time. 
Now, I'm not justifying the type of slavery that even Peter is talking about here, but I'm trying to help us see that what Peter is telling these servants to do is a little bit different than what you and I would think of when we think of slavery. And so Peter tells them, honor your masters. Treat them with respect. Now, this is a respect not for the master, but respect for God. What Peter wants these servants to do is even if you come across a master that treats you unfairly, do what they ask you to do. Because when you do that, you conduct Christ in a favorable way. You let that master see that your behavior is different from the world around them. And so Peter knew that these servants had an opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus while they were living in bondage, while they were having to be servants, maybe even to masters that were being unfair to them. Now this doesn't mean that Peter is asking any of these servants to do something that would violate their Christian conscience or to do something that would go against the law. But Peter is saying, as much as you are able, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect So what is Peter's word to us then? Because we don't deal with this same type of mentality. Almost everyone in the room at some point or another has had some type of authority figure, boss, teacher, who had authority over you. And there's a good chance that at some point one of them treated you unfairly or unjustly. And you have an opportunity in that moment to conduct yourself in a way that sets you apart from everyone else around you. Even if that teacher, that authority figure, asks you to do something that you think is unjust, you reflect favorably on Christ when you do what they are asking you to do. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was treated unjustly. And he had the power and the ability, if he wanted to, to step out of every difficult situation that he wanted to and take control. But he didn't do it. He suffered and he endured for our sake because he loved us. And so I know some of you in this room, you have supervisors and you have bosses that treat you in a way that is unfair. And you know that if you go to that person, it's going to result in termination or a demotion Or an inability to rise up the corporate ladder. So how are you to respond? You are to respond how Jesus tells us to respond. Faithfully. As you go about living your life. Conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of God's respect. The reality is. There are always going to be people that we endure and experience in life. That don't think the same way that we do. And those are opportunities to make the name of Jesus known. To set yourself apart from everyone else around you. Peter is telling these Christians that are in exile, I want you servants to live differently than all of the other servants around you. And when you do this, you make the name of Jesus known. So we have to understand the context in which Peter is writing. We also need to see something that is scary to read. But Peter tells us in this passage that we are called to suffer. 
Not that we should strive to suffer or hope to suffer, but part of being a follower of Jesus Christ actually means you are called to suffer. Now, there's a lot of different types of suffering. There's physical suffering. I know some of you in this room have experienced cancer diagnoses, and you have dealt with cancer off and on for 5, 10, 15 years, and that is a legitimate form of physical suffering. And then there is mental suffering, where we deal with anxiety and depression and other types of mental disorders. And even though medicine can make us feel better, there are still seasons of our life where we don't feel the way that we should. And that is suffering. But I want to tell you about another form of suffering that we don't often talk about as much. And this is the suffering that happens when you serve other people. When you get messy with other people. I'm sure many of you in this room have invested in a person or a family over the course of years and you have shared the gospel with them and you've communicated the truth of scripture to them only to see them reject what you have taught them. Only to see them go in a direction that you hoped they wouldn't go. See, there is suffering involved when we as believers in Jesus Christ invest in people's lives and get messy with people. But here's the problem. Not everyone in this room deals with this kind of suffering because so many of us are not willing to be vulnerable with people. We're not willing to go to that level. So sometimes we don't experience that type of suffering. But yet Jesus tells us that we must do this. Sure, you might have transparent relationships with family members or maybe a close friend, but are you willing to get messy with those that are not like you? And if you're willing to do that, the reality is your heart will be broken. You will suffer. But if we really think about what Peter is saying is, Jesus did this for you and me. He invested in us. God sent Jesus to earth to live the perfect life for a people that ultimately rejected him. We have broken God's heart. But the reason we go and we be vulnerable with other people and get messy with people is because God did that for you and me. It's something that we all have to do. If your heart is not breaking for this city, if your heart is not breaking for people in this city, then you are not getting messy enough. Jesus' heart broke daily for those that he ministered to, those that he cared for. Suffering is a part of the call, physical, mental, and relational suffering. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's difficult Because I've never had anybody come up to me after the service and tell me all of the ways they were excited about how they had suffered this past week. That's not a common phrase. It's not something we like to experience. And yet Jesus is telling us, when he tells us to take up our cross daily and follow after him, what he is saying is, you better be ready to suffer. Our brothers and sisters around the world suffer in ways that we could never imagine. I read just this past week 
of a young Central Asian lady named Miriam. She stood up in a classroom of 38 people and proudly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ as her teacher sat there and critiqued every aspect of Christianity. And so the teacher sent her to the principal's office, threatened to expel her, threatened public shaming, even told her that he was going to call a prosecutor because she was involved in missionary activity in proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. She stood up in a room of almost 40 people and gladly shared the good news of the gospel, knowing that it might cost her her life. So when Jesus asks our brothers and sisters across the world to suffer in this way, how can we get off the hook here in America? We have an obligation, a calling to go and get messy with other people. And if we do that, there's a good chance our hearts will be broken. But this is what Jesus calls us to do. He modeled this for us. And I want you to see that Jesus modeled his suffering. And so as Peter is talking to these servants, he is reminding them that everything you experience... Jesus experienced. You are not alone. He endured so much on your behalf because he loved you. And the suffering that Jesus shows us in the New Testament and on the cross can actually fuel us to be ready to go out into the world and make a difference. I'm reminded of this story that we read in Acts chapter 5. Some of the disciples had been arrested and locked up. And I don't have time to read the story, but I want to read to you the passage to kind of give you an idea of how the early church thought about suffering and persecution. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. We see our brothers and sisters here in this passage giddy about the fact that God had allowed them to experience this type of suffering. And if I'm confessing to you honestly this morning, I rarely have this type of mentality when I suffer. I rarely count it a joy, as James tells us, to endure difficulty for Jesus. But this is the model that the early church shows us. You see, Jesus' example is so countercultural. Peter tells us he was reviled, he was mocked, he was beaten. And our tendency is anytime that happens, is to seek revenge, it's to retaliate, it's to get the last word in, it's to win the debate or the argument. But that's not the example that Jesus lives for us. He trusted that God was the judge. That's very difficult for us as human beings. To trust that God is ultimately the judge for what happens in our lives and everyone else's lives around us. We would much rather take control of the situation than patiently wait and allow God to be the judge. But Peter tells us, 
that Jesus waited because he knew that God was the just judge. Hear me this morning. There are people in this world who will have great success and be bad people. And then there will be Christians, God-fearing, loving the Word of God, proclaiming the gospel, that are doing everything that the Bible tells them to do, and they will experience suffering unlike is even imaginable. God's idea of what is just and what is fair is not the world's idea of justice and fairness. We must keep a biblical understanding of what fairness is. You know, it's real easy to have the attitude that God is the judge, therefore all the people that did me wrong, they're going to pay one day. That's not the attitude Christ wants us to have. That's not what Peter is talking about here. As if we could allow God to seek revenge on our behalf to get back at all the people who have wronged us. Now in our human nature, that sounds good. But we know that we have to trust that God is the judge. And that he in the end gets the last word and gets the victory. So these exiles that are dealing with masters that were treating them unfairly, Peter is telling them, remember, even as difficult as this is, that God is the judge, and he is just, and he is fair. So instead of just enduring your suffering, Peter is telling these servants, I want you to embrace it. For any of you in this room that have ever experienced suffering, if you embrace it, what you find is that it increases your dependency and your intimacy with Jesus. And that's what suffering is really all about. That's why God allows us to suffer. Because if we will embrace it, it will make us closer to Jesus. And that is the whole point that God allows us to endure suffering, is to make us more like Him. To increase the amount of time we spend with Him in prayer and in the Word of God. Because when you are suffering, that is when you need Jesus most. And so suffering is an opportunity for you to embrace the intimacy and the dependency that you need for Jesus. We don't just want to endure it. We want to embrace it. Because when we do, God works in our lives. I'm sure I could go around the room today for those of you that have suffered, and many of you would tell me that those were some of the sweetest moments you had in your relationship with God. Why is that? Because God knows when we suffer, we rely more on Him. So embrace the suffering. Peter closes this passage by telling us that we actually need to rejoice in Jesus' suffering. Now this seems a little odd. Why would we want to rejoice in the pain and the torture and the execution of our Savior. But the reality is, without Jesus enduring that suffering on our behalf, you and I do not have access to God. Salvation would not be possible. 
Peter uses this example of the tree. He tells these exiles, Jesus bore our sins on the tree. And you find this explanation, this description of the cross as a tree in Deuteronomy, three times in Acts, once in Galatians, and once here. It's another way of saying the cross. Peter says, Jesus bore our sins on the tree. What is Peter saying? Every single sin that you and I have ever committed in our past, currently, in the future, Jesus took on himself when he was crucified. We know that God the Father is so holy that He cannot be in the presence of sin. And so the only way that you and I can get access to God is if Jesus lived that perfect life on our behalf. He was the substitute. He paid the price for every single thing that we did wrong in this world. And because of what Jesus did, we are given access to God the Father. And Peter wants these exiles to know that whatever you're experiencing while you are servants, know that Jesus bore your sin on the cross because He loved you. So keep a Jesus mindset as you are experiencing this suffering. As you endure difficult times, look to the cross and remember all of the ways that Jesus provided for you by what He did. We cannot ever come to Jesus apart from what he did for us on the cross. This is why you hear me say almost every week, you can never achieve salvation. It can only be received. When I say that, what I mean is you must receive Jesus' death on the cross for you. Even if you were to go and die on a cross yourself, you still would not be able to achieve salvation. It is the free gift of God given to you because of His love for you. We must wrap our minds around the significance of the cross. Peter tells these exiles, you were once straying like sheep. That's you and me. Before we were in Christ, we were straying. We were looking in all of the wrong places to be made right with God. Family, career, possessions, achievement. We were straying. But when we realized that Jesus was our shepherd and we came to him, that is when we found true peace with God. So Peter ends this passage talking about salvation. Why would he want these servants to know the significance of their salvation? Because when the difficult times come, when the diagnosis hits, when you deal with that anxiety or depression or that relationship that you got messy in and they stabbed you in the back, you look to Jesus and you remember that your salvation is not found in any of those things, but it is found in what Jesus did for you on the cross. And your identity because of that is always secure. 
So when the physical issue comes, the mental issue comes, the friendship issue comes, your salvation is not based on any of those things. It is based on Jesus' love for you. I was reminded of another Central Asian believer in Christ. Her name was Asma. She was studying at a local university and she came to faith in Christ. And she was surrounded by a Christian community that was taking care of her and loving her and support her. Her parents found out about it and they pulled all the funding back from her education. She didn't have any way to pay for college anymore. So she began working six days a week, long 12, 14-hour days, and she was just barely getting by. So later that summer, she returned home to her parents, and they held her hostage for two years in her own house because she had made a decision to follow after Jesus. Refused ever to get on board with her decision to follow after Jesus. Two years later, they finally released her, and she went back to the place where she had gone for the university. And she still did not have enough money raised to go back to school. But there was a Canadian family in the country where she lived that took her in, gave her a place to live, helped her get back on her feet, and she was able to re-enroll in college. And these Christian missionaries and this community, they had gone back to America But they kept up with her through email. And they emailed her one day, and this is what they said. Of course, it might take me a minute to find it. They contacted her via email, and they told her that her brothers and sisters in America loved her very much. And here was her reply back. After she had lost all of her funding to go to school, after she was held in house arrest for two years by her parents, this was her response to her Christian community back in America. I'm so happy to be a part of this family. I'm just happy to be a stone in this temple. I love you, my family, very, very much. There are countless stories of our brothers and sisters around the world that deal with this type of persecution. And they all say over and over again that they are blessed and they are happy to be a part of the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's because they can look to the cross and understand that what Jesus endured for them pales in comparison to what they will experience. And it doesn't mean we make light of their persecution, but they get it. Now what about us as American believers? When we suffer, is our tendency to run from it Is our tendency to dismiss it, just to endure it, or is our tendency to embrace it and allow that to be a way of increasing intimacy with Jesus? Peter clearly lays out the gospel at the end of this chapter. So let's review a few questions for us all to consider this morning. What are you looking to for salvation? Because if it's anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are looking in the wrong place. Achievement, career, family, possessions will not satisfy the void that is in your heart. That can only come through what Jesus did on the cross. 
What sins do you have in your heart that you feel like God is not able to forgive you of? That is a lie from the enemy. God forgives all sin. And he loves all of humanity so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price for it. You can be made right with God through what Jesus did for you. If you're waiting until you get your life cleaned up, or if you're waiting to get your life straightened out before you come to Jesus, you'll never arrive there. It's impossible. But Jesus did it for you. He took that burden off of you because he loves you. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, you've heard the gospel. You've heard Peter's words. You've heard the explanation of the significance of the cross. What is holding you back from following after Jesus? Is it a relationship? Is it fear? Is it embarrassment? Hear me, brothers and sisters. That's why the church exists, to walk alongside of you. No one is expecting you to live the Christian life alone. Come, be a part of this community of faith. Profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and allow Him to transform you. I love this quote from my man, Tim Keller. But this quote is so good and I didn't want to mention it because, you know, everybody says I need some new quotes, but I just can't bring myself to not mention it. Here's what he says. Everyone says they want community and deep friendship. However, because it takes accountability and commitment, we run the other way. Following after Jesus takes accountability and it takes commitment. Don't run the other way. Run to Jesus. Be willing to be vulnerable with your brothers and sisters. None of us in this room that are in Christ have it all together. I promise you. Ask my children. Ask my wife. I do not have it all together. But I have a community of faith here that loves me and cares for me and supports me and encourages me. And that's what the body of Christ is about. Jesus loves you. He wants relationship with you. This is what Peter is telling these servants. This is what Peter is telling me and you today. So how are we going to respond in light of what Peter is communicating to us? Let's pray together. God, we, we come before you acknowledging that we are going to go through difficulty in this world. We are going to suffer. And it's going to be hard. And we're not going to like it. But if we will embrace it, it will increase our dependency on you. It will make us better followers of Jesus because we are willing to go to you when we suffer. God, Peter reminds us what Jesus did for us on the cross. He bore all of the sin on himself because he loves us. And we just praise you today for making that possible, for sending Jesus to us 
And we praise you for loving us unconditionally, even when we don't deserve it. I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts. If there is sin in our life that we think you are unable to forgive, that we would reject that and believe what the word of God teaches. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. God, we all have friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers that we need to get messy with. That we need to be vulnerable with. Give us the boldness to do so. God, we want to respond to how you're leading us individually at this time. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.